3: And our world on
0: through
3: 106.5 FM Los Angeles,
1: 102.3 FM
0: Riverside,
3: and 1050 AM Palm Springs.
0: Um, So joining us today is an accomplished writer who's written several books um, and you might know him from a lot of his his books, you might not. Um, He's got a a different kind of book with a different subject, something more personal and so we're going to talk to him about that and it's called Forever After, an Inspired Work and our guest is William Murray, Uh, glad that you're here. Thank you. Um, So William, let's start with... um, uh, the book, so Forever After, um, where did it come from from you? Like, where did it start?
2: Well, I wish I had a definitive answer to that. I was taking a break from my novel writing career uh, to uh, work as a professional psychic and to explore the uh, the the New Age world, because I was thinking of writing a nonfiction book, and that was triggered by some spiritual... Um, things going on in my life that we don't need to get into because it would be too complicated. But about a year or two into working as a professional psychic, and I worked at a, a tea room, a classic uh, old-style tea room where people came in to get readings. And uh, a new reader was uh, was hired, and the other readers would say, oh, she's great, get get a reading from her and uh, and tape it. And so I did that and uh, we had a, I had a reading with her, and which I don't remember very much at all, except the one thing that that, that pertains to this book forever after is she's perceived someone around me in spirit who was a monk, and he's holding a quill pen and he's saying he wants to write a book with you. Well, that wasn't what I wanted to hear, and I didn't know what that meant or you know how seriously to take it because i I take psychic readings with a certain grain of salt, as one should, even though I'm a proficient psychic myself. So, you know, time passed, and once in a while this would come up, either in readings or some other experiences. I had an opportunity to train in mediumship at a spiritualist church, and um, at one point the, uh, the the platform medium brought through someone I recognized as a deceased uncle who was very learned. Uh, with the family inherited his encyclopedias and, and great books, and he started talking about, you know, a plan coming together later that year and hinting at certain things and, it, and, and you know, not enough information. But somehow the time that he said, which is April that year, coincided with some other spiritual experiences that kind of started opening other doors. And I'm being deliberately vague because this is a long story. Uh And uh eventually... I started taking this more seriously, but I didn't have a start point. I didn't know what to do, except in one of these uh, readings from the woman who first triggered this, I asked her, what, what's the title of the book? And she said, Forever After. And that was a title. As a writer, if I have a title, I have a starting point. And another year or so passed, and one afternoon – I was supposed to have gone to Australia, it's coming back to me now, for an assignment, a writing assignment, and we had a little house fire. It was minor, but it was very strange, uh, in the sense that I could sense something was wrong, but I didn't know what was wrong, and then, boom, we had a little kitchen fire, uh, spontaneously. And so I didn't go to Australia, I did something I never did before, I canceled an assignment. So uh, I missed out in Australia, and uh, and instead of going to Australia, I went to one of the spiritualist church services, a a, a summer service, which is in the evening. And during the meditation in the beginning of the service, I was shown the title of the first chapter of the book and told it's time to start. And I'm thinking, oh, man, here we go. And so I went home, I guess it was that night or maybe it was the next morning, and I sat down and I typed the title forever after, and I, I typed... The, the first chap the first uh, chapter title of the book, and I just stared at the screen and said, oh, what do I do now? And then something started flowing. And since I'm a prof- proficient and prolific author, the idea of something flowing is something I'm comp- com- uh, comfortable with. And I'm a little confident when, you know, if the characters start talking, you just let them talk. So uh, I wrote a chapter that was a page and a third. And I said, oh, that was easy. There was nothing to that. Because my fear was, you know, this would be one of those mega books that would make no sense to anybody except maybe someone who's, you know, a paranoid schizophrenic. So I did a chapter, and I looked at it, and I studied it for a day, and I said, well, there's not much to this, but it's a start. So I wrote another chapter, and it was just as easy as the first. It was a little longer, and then I started to build up a head of steam, and uh, the narrative flowed. I didn't know where it was going. I didn't know what to expect. I just had to let go. And I think I wrote a a big hunk of the book, and then I got hit with deadlines, and I put it aside for a month or more. And then I got back to it. When I got back to it, I managed to write it in a relatively short period of time, maybe a month. And I remember, I mean, you know, I was familiar with Channeled literature in a general sense, uh, you know, conversation with God. I skimmed it. Uh, Someone once gave me the Eureanitary... What is it, the Uranitarian book? Uh, a big compendium, allegedly channeled, very esoteric, and I tried reading it, but I couldn't get, you know, I couldn't penetrate it. It was just too convoluted. So um, I wrote this thing, and in the middle of it, I became concerned about this becoming a long book. And I, I, I'm sitting at the computer screen, and I'm about to start chapter 30 something. I remember vividly asking myself, oh, I'm already at 30 chapters, and the chapters are short, but, you know, how many chapters is this thing going to be? And I was, like, visualizing, I'll be writing this book for the next year or two or three if this is one of these 1,000, 5,000-page channel books. And I heard a voice in my head. At that point, I'd been training as a medium. I'd been training for several years. So that wasn't that unusual. I heard a voice saying, 75 chapters, one for each year of your life. And I thought, oh, that's interesting. So I finished the book, edited it, uh, you know, as best I could. And then I didn't know what to do with it. You know, I tried looking around for agents and publishers, and I didn't have a background in the field. I wasn't known in that field. And, you know, and I felt awkward about it because, yeah, I, I wrote this book, but I really didn't. I channeled it. And I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's. Literal. I don't know if it's supposed to be a fable, a teaching tool, what. It, it turned out, as, as you may know if you've read it, kind of Genesis, but told on a kind of cosmic scale, more of a universal version of Genesis than an Earth, Earth point of view Genesis. Um, and it's in the, the protagonist is God. Uh, he, he wakes up in the first chapter and has amnesia. He doesn't know who he is, doesn't know where he is, doesn't know what he is. He starts asking questions. In the course of asking questions, he starts exercising his creative imagination and his ability to create things. And he starts creating the universe block by block, first with the sun and then with matter, the first uh, non-light, you know, uh, material and then he proceeds and then he proceeds and then he proceeds and he starts to learn and a lot of it's playful and some of it is serious and some of it's a little creepy but one piece by piece he starts to create the universe and just and through that process discovers himself and goes in search of even deeper understanding of who he is because he doesn't know who he is that's a long answer isn't it
0: yeah no it's fine i think it explained it well um so of course you didn't have an intention it's not like your regular books where you sort of have um a place to begin and end um so you didn't know um but now that you've written it and um so what is it you hope that people will get from
2: it I don't have real hopes in that regard it's not my book uh, I, I would hope that people who like this kind of thing, who are interested in this kind of material, who are curious about the origins of life in the, the larger sense, would, you know, read it and have their imagination stimulated. Uh, you know, I wish I could say, this is literal. This is what happened. I can't. I don't know. Uh, if it's a teaching tool, if it's a mind expander, that's fine. I hope people's minds expand. Uh, it's a very interesting fable, if nothing else. Uh, I, I just hope because I went to the trouble of channeling it and uh, getting it published. It's only an ebook at this point. Uh, we'll probably do a soft cover sometime, someday. Uh, but I, I would hope that people who, who are interested in channeled material and interested in God and interested in creation and interested in who we are as human beings and who we are as spiritual beings might read it and have their minds uh, expanded even even a little and open their mind to, you know, um, the bigger picture without the, the trappings of religion or the trappings of uh, uh, opposing points of view. But mostly it's, a, it's an exploration of who we are and who God is and how we relate. Uh, but told very simply and very um, dramatically, as it turned out, I mean, it starts off very lightly, almost playful, but it gets darker, and then it gets lighter, and then it gets darker, and then it gets lighter until the 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 last um, spurt of chapters where things. I mean, it turned into a story, you know, which I guess it always was. I just didn't know when I was writing it. Uh, it 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 has a, a finale. It 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 comes to a. a a conclusion that really surprised me. I wasn't expecting it.
3: William, did you learn anything yeah. from, from the channeling of, of this? So either about yourself as a psychic and, and remote viewer and channeler, or about the creation or one, I suppose, perception of our creation. What did you learn as a person?
2: Well, um, if I were to take this as a either true a true story, or as a teaching tool that's trying to teach us something about ourselves and God and and our our relationship to God, it seems to be about... um, I guess you would say it's It's hard to encapsulate because the book covers so much territory, even though it has one point of view. Um, I, I, I would say it opens my mind to the fact that we may all be you know more powerful uh sparks of god or or uh offshoots of god than maybe we give ourselves credit for that we are more powerful as spiritual beings uh because we are participants in this expansion evolution that that takes place on a cosmic and a universal scale uh As far as what I learned, you know, personally, well, I learned I could channel a book, uh, and I I wonder if I will be asked to channel another. It hasn't happened yet, and if I am, I guess I'll just have to rise to the occasion. Uh, But it it, it, it certainly presents. I mean, I I, I flash back to the reviews I've gotten, where people say this is a very different look at God. He's in the beginning of the book. He's young. He's learning. He's playful. He's inquisitive, he's curious, he's powerful, but he doesn't know how powerful he is. He's exploring that. And it, 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 it's, it's a story of a very approachable, childlike God in the beginning who just, you know, amasses knowledge and power and creation over the course of, you know, 75 chapters until he, he, he discovers who he is. And in discovering who he is, he sort of communicates who we are
3: one of the things that comes through when you're talking is this um this uh, you're describing the book it's about that development of self so is there an element that you could liken the god character in this in your book to your own life so it's 75 chapters for your 75 years is there any part of that book that you think maybe you're you're almost presenting your own story
2: no, I don't think so because I know I'm a creative person and I've been very prolific as a creative person. I mean I don't create suns and planets and people and 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 whatever. Uh I, 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 I certainly now that you say it and since I've I've been reminded by in answering your question that God in the beginning is very young and childlike and he's just starting out and doesn't know anything, like a baby doesn't know anything. And when he arrives wrestling. at the end of the you know, I so yeah, I was I a baby it. once and I didn't know anything, you know. Uh, and, then, that's and then the happy.
3: creation of things is our creative, we, we create things around us, don't we? It's our personalities yeah, yeah, and our sense of yeah. self that creates other things. So that's why I was just thinking, is the number 75 relevant? Is that, is that important it's, part it's of the story? It's relevant because
2: that's, spo- that's supposed to be my, uh, my allotted lifespan. Because I, I had a, a vision before I wrote this book one morning i woke up i had a vision of a tombstone and i saw the the uh, birth date and the death date and uh, you know you counted i counted up and it was 75 years so when i got that message channeling this book i Mm -hmm. said well that fits so i I, I think when in in that sense and i think nothing's written in stone uh i could you know contract covid next week uh and that would be it but um I think that, you know, a lot of us come here with contracts or, you know, things to do. And when those things are done, it's time to go. And, you know, for some of us, it may be a very fixed date. It may have some elasticity, but it's generally, you know, if you're going to be, if you're going to live to 90, I guess most people who are going to live to 90 will live to 90. And if you're not going to live past 28, well, that's your contract.
3: So you you mentioned that when you've learned to to that you can channel a book, and obviously not all mediums can channel, um, and there's various different types of, of mediums and readings, etc. So have you have you used channeling before when you were developing your mediumship and your psychic? Um.
2: um well, yes and no. I guess I could say I, tra- I trained intensively in remote viewing, and we communicated with spiritual beings in, in some of that and some of them were very high beings and some of them may have been extraterrestrials and I don't know the difference between the two based on my experiences. I, I think there was an experience when I was in my 20s that was that may have been a kind of a foreshadowing. I, I got the right to write a novel based on an outline written by one of my favorite writers back in the 1930s. it was my first novel. And so I wrote over the first chapter, just feeling my way forward, and then I wrote the second chapter. And then one day I'm sitting at the typewriter getting ready to write another chapter, and I start, and this is before I was interested in these subjects, that is to say intensely interested. I read about everything, so I had a little knowledge. But I, I felt distinctly a presence standing behind me, and I started typing faster and faster, and I wrote something like, you know, 25 pages that day and 30 pages the next and 40 pages the next and then I just crashed And I used to joke it was that deceased writer Coming to help me get into the flow of writing the book. He never wrote and um, I used to say it joking now. I, I, I don't say it jokingly. I said well, what else would that be? I felt the presence and all of a sudden I was supercharged and I was writing his book yes. so um, I, I guess you could say I had it in me long before but I wouldn't say that book was channeled. But I wouldn't—I would say that was a collaboration, maybe. Um, but this thing, I don't know where it came from. I don't know who was, you know. In in some of the readings I had around this, the archangel Raphael came up a couple of times as possibly the connection around this book. But I don't really have a feeling for him, and I don't really, you know, I I don't, you know, as I say before, I take readings with some amount of salt because there's a lot of a certain amount of interpretation and sometimes some prejudices in in readers. So I've left my mind open that this book is what it is, and I don't know what it is until maybe I've passed over and someone can tell me what it really is. I wish I had an answer, but I don't want to jump on an answer that isn't 100% accurate.
3: When you were writing it, did you... Did you experience the feelings and the understanding of what the book was describing, what the person channeling was describing? Or did, yeah, you, I, did you struggle I, with that because you weren't, it wasn't your words?
2: Well, the process by which I wrote in those days, which was just sitting at a computer, and I tend to type with one or two fingers, so I'm not a proficient typist, so I make a lot of typos, so I would, I would type at very high speed with one finger make make my typos and just keep on going. So it, in because the, the chapters were short, it was possible to write a chapter or two or three in, in quick bursts uh, and have to go back and polish them in terms of cleaning up the typos and, you know, any missing word or anything. I, I don't know that – I don't m- remember my feelings as I was typing because it was more about just letting go and just letting w- my fingers take take the story – into reality as best they could. I mean, you know, uh, I remember getting near the end of the book, maybe in chapter 60-something, saying there's no way this book will wrap up in 75 chapters. And then I kept going, and it did. And it was like, it was a big surprise to me even though I was told it would be 75 chapters long. Uh, It's just, okay, there it is. I I think there was one odd thing that happened a few times that Always stuck with me, and I could never figure out. Is once in a while I'd sit down to start a chapter, and I would type the chapter title that would come to me, and I'd start writing the chapter. When I got to the end of the chapter, the chapter title in the in the chapter did not match, and I'd have to go back and okay, what's the actual chapter title here because this doesn't fit, and I don't know where that those chapter titles came from, whether they were my imagination and you know as part of the clearing process, but. There were a couple of t- times where the chapter titles and the chapters didn't didn't match at all.
3: I guess the reason I asked that because I'm, I'm not I'm not an author, William, and so I just imagine that when you're writing um, a story, a novel, a short, you know, book, that you have to understand the characters and you 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 live them through the writing, and so you, well, you know what to
2: expect. Yeah you do live them through their writing when you write a book when you write a novel of your own creation but you you know many writers and especially myself because i've written a lot of novels will find that characters take on a life of their own and, and stories take on a life of their own and you think you're going left in in, in 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 towards texas in chapter 5 but suddenly you're in canada and you just go with it that's where the story is going so i i think i have to say on a, on a on a certain level all creativity is spiritual, and there may be muses or, or elements of your higher self or your soul or, or your unconscious or your subconscious or whatever label you want to use that, you know, steer you or motivate you. But this was not like that. This was not because in, in, when I write a book, even though the book can go in directions I wasn't planning, I still have to maintain control. And some aspects of control are pacing some aspects are you know agreed upon length of novels if i'm told to write a 90,000 word novel it better be 90,000 words long and not too much longer or too much shorter but this it's like okay um we take it as far as it goes you know if it's 75 chapters yeah okay i hope they're all short you know uh i i just you know i just didn't feel involved in the story on the on the in the, on the way the in the way that i would where I'm using characters that I care about or I've created, this was more like a kind of high-speed transcription. It, my entire focus was to capture and translate what was coming down through me. Because I have to assume, if I'm the instrument of of of, of getting this book onto the earth, shall we say, uh, there's a certain amount of filtering. That it uses me as an instrument, and therefore it uses my vocabulary, it uses my style to some degree. I don't recognize this style, but it's not completely alien to the styles I write in. But I write in multiple styles, so um, so I, I I I'm not involved in this. In fact, you know, I, I would write at such speed that when I would look at the chapters a day or two later, I'd be kind of amazed by them. I, I I glanced through the thing before you called. And I hadn't looked at the book in a while. And once again, you know, I, I've, I, you know it, it, it amazes me because I can open up to any chapter and kind of start reading and fall into the thing and be captivated by it because it's, it's, it's not something that I feel I created in, in, in the sense of these are not my ideas. These are not my concepts. Uh, these these aren't even, you know, this book isn't particularly earthly, you know, in terms of our world, it's it's more cosmic. It's more like something that might have happened billions and trillions of years ago in some other creation, or some creation before this creation. I don't know. But I, I, I just didn't, you know, I just didn't relate to it on the, on, on the level of being a participant in the writing. I was more of a, I was like a radio that turned the words into uh into 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 letters and into onto a computer screen uh I, the radio doesn 't know who 's singing, but the radio sings that was me i 'm just typing you know it's just's got to get got to stay focused got to let the thing flow through me and don 't think about it because if I thought about it, I might want to change things
3: and, and as a trained medium from a spiritualist church, did you ever um, during those times when you were typing, try and understand and communicate with who was who you were channeling?
2: Not personally, no. I may I may I, I now I asked a number of readers, you know, what their insights were and I don't remember a lot of what they said. The Angel Raphael came up more than once and once it came up spontaneously with, with someone I just started working with. First time she read me said, I'm getting the Angel Raphael around you. I said, You know, that name's been coming up lately. Uh, So I I knew that that was valid, but I didn't try to, well, you know, it comes back to me now. I did try to communicate, you know, uh, uh, since I got a certain amount of validation on that, I did try to connect with the angel Raphael, and I got a kind of a fiery personality that wasn't very complimentary but wasn't very negative. It was kind of like saying, well, you know, you did a decent job without doing, you know, a plus job. And I didn't feel like I was particularly connecting with something positive but I, or I was connecting with something that was very strict in its, in, its, in, in its assessment of what I did. Assuming that, you know, I channeled the right person when I tried to connect. I remember one medium I knew who I had read on this, she read on it and she said, she got very uneasy, said, I don't, I'm getting the message that this book should not be on the planet Earth. I said, well, that's a lot of help. I mean, what do I do now? At that point, I hadn't published it. So I had a lot of concerns about whether to publish this book. You know, d- does it belong here? Is it, is it going to reach people? What's the purpose of it? Is it for good? Is it neutral? Is it, is it, would it bring about confusion? I remember distinctly the woman who first told me about the, the monk who wanted to write it with me, who apparently is a guide. I remember distinctly her saying, this book is is meant for a time in the future when times are very tough and people will need a lot of reassurance and, 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 and a greater understanding of where they fit into God's plan. I'm paraphrasing her words. And I'm, I'm a little concerned that we're, we're, we're edging into that time because I wasn't sure that would be a time when I'd be alive. But, you know, I'm still alive. now, or maybe five or ten years from now, when maybe things are very tough and people need to get above and beyond, uh, some of the religions that are more decisive, divisive, and dig it into more of a purer sense of who we are in relationship to God. I really, I'm really not an apostle of any particular point of view here. I'm as interested in knowing the truth as anybody. I wish I had it, and I don't wanna, I don't wanna based on based on some inputs I received from some people who are, I think are good, make a definitive statement that this book is this, it's supposed to be that, and it's supposed to do this. I don't know. I'm, I'm open-minded. You know, I'm just a radio. So I produced the book, and I hope people will find it uh, compelling.
3: And you mentioned that the monk was a guide. And I just, um, so obviously he wasn't your guide. And no, no, yeah, comments. my
2: guide, no, my guide, my guide, definitely my guide, because oh, sure, he came so. through later. He came through mm-hmm. later a few times, uh, Irish monk, past life connection. Uh, again, you know, this is the information I received, You know, how valid, how much of it is true, or or how much of it I have. I might have 10% of it, and there's, there's 100% of a story here that I don't mm-hmm. know. But, uh, he was an Irish monk. I guess we were monks together. It was a long time ago in Ireland. I have Irish roots. And, uh, apparently he was, he's been wanting to do this book. And we did it. I did not have a feeling for him during the process, I should say. You know, if he was a, if he was part of the process, I didn't necessarily sense him.
3: And subsequently, have you have you tried to connect with him to help him explore the channeling and and your experience of the book?
2: Well, I, I, I've connected with him for you know other guidance, but you know once the book was done and I struggled to get it published, and then I let it sit aside, and then I found a place where I could get it published. I I, I kind of felt my my duty was done until they asked me to do something similar. Uh, I, I'm very um careful as i said not to try to make anyone think this book is one thing or another it's not meant to be a new bible although it has you know it has a lot of aspects of genesis with more detail uh i i I guess i'm i'm afraid of getting a mixture of accurate and inaccurate information about what this book is going to be and and cause people to think it, it is, you know, people want things to be black or white or red or blue. And I don't know what color this is. You know, maybe this is a rainbow book. Maybe it's, it's, a lot of it is in fact something that happened. And, but it's been filtered for earth consciousness, shall we say. So that, you know, people on this planet will understand it. People on our level of spiritual de- development can accept it. Can you know be be educated by it or at least stimulated by it, but you know I I don't I don't have enough information to be able to say definitively this and definitively that. I mean I I have my name on this book because you can't upload an ebook to Amazon without a name. You know, so I, I I'm the nominal author of this book, but I'm really just a transcribing secretary. I don't think it has that I could see because the 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 book is like a um, it's like a leaf in a leaf storm. In the last twenty something years, I've been going through a a a process of spiritual development, training, uh, work. I've been, I trained with a military remote viewer, ex-military remote viewer, excuse me. We did a lot of esoteric stuff as well as a lot of ordinary stuff. I trained as a medium at the same time and I noticed that the two disciplines, although very different, they helped one another. I think I became a better, better medium because I did the remote viewing training because it, it taught me the protocols to approach, that, that we, you, you normally use to approach, you know, remote viewing target, I use that. To essentially remote view people who passed to connect with their consciousness, which is a very different... Most mediums, as you probably know, in a sitting or a one-on-one, you open up and whoever comes through, comes through. In remote viewing, it's very focused. You get your coordinates and you you, you remote view those coordinates blind. So what I did is I adapted the coordinate thing which was not practical to adapt to mediumship but i would say to a client give me the first name of the person give me their sun sign or their birthday or their hair color just give me a a longitude and a latitude which is what coordinates are and i will get them for you and that worked most of the time Now once in a while someone would come through ahead of the person we're trying to connect who had to, to give a message and We would deal with that person, then move them to one side, and then we would get the person that the client wanted to get. So I found it was a very powerful focusing tool for mediumship, which is often, uh, by its nature, you know, the etiquette by its nature for mediums is we open up and whoever comes through comes through. And if someone you want to talk to doesn't come through, well, we we don't control that. You know, who can or will come through is who can or will come through. So I managed to override that to a large degree. And I, I remember the first maybe year I did this, did, applied remote viewing. And I, I struggled to learn mediumship. You could throw my first two years of mediumship training out the window. It was, I was getting nowhere. But once I applied uh, some of the remote viewing principles, and once my instructor started teaching from different points of view or different styles, of mediumship, I took to it very strongly. For the, for the first year, I was almost always successful, and then there was a period where I wasn't successful. I was hit or miss, and then I got back on my game. I don't know what that was about, but it was it was a very strong uh, focusing tool to get connect to connect with exactly who you want to connect with.
0: So, can can you explain maybe? for listeners what exactly is remote viewing and what what it does for you
2: well remote viewing is a set of protocols that the department of defense in in conjunction with several researchers a couple of laser physicists and uh, a couple of natural psychics came up to came up with in the in the during the cold war when they learned the russians were looking into psychic spying so they said we need to look into it even though we don't believe in it and they developed Ways to, what they found was if you went to your street corner psychic and asked them questions about, what kind of submarines are the Russians building now? What's their, what's their new generation of aircraft look like? Well, street corner psychics, like any psychics, they have their, their body of knowledge and their way of looking at things. And, you know, your average psychic is really good on relationships and jobs and interpersonal stuff doesn't have a technical background, doesn't have a grounding in this stuff, and one of the limitations of psychic abilities you can only perceive things on your own level of knowledge. Or you can only interpret them on your own level of knowledge. So you're not gonna have a a woman with a you know a set of deck of tarot cards being able to tell you very much about Russian submarines. So they came to the point where they said, We need to train our own people to do this. We need to train people with the background in, in intelligence and and military understanding to do this if it's possible to do that and that's when they found it worked and what they found was to get originally they they would do an interesting they did interesting studies where they would give the would be remote viewers a longitude and latitude on the planet earth somewhere in russia somewhere in china somewhere anywhere and remote view this building at this longitude and latitude remote view this this site you know and and after a, it worked. You know, it worked, just like longitude and latitude. We don't have longitude and latitude lines on the planet Earth. They're imaginary, but we can we can navigate with them. Well, psychically, you can navigate with coordinates, even though they're made up, you know, and longitude and latitude are made up. And they had a problem after a while, i you may be giving a longer answer than you want, but they had a problem after a while, where... People started recognizing the longitudes and latitudes. Oh, I've been here before. Or I've been near here. This is Siberia. This is Russia. And that was, that was polluting the the purity of of remote viewing blindly, because in order to remote viewing accurately, you've got to have no idea what you're remote viewing. Because if you get any data that's good, you know you're being psychic. But you're getting junk, or you're getting associational stuff. Oh, here we go, Russia again. Then your imagination, which is part of the tools here, your imagination will create things as opposed to view things. I I often say, you know, imagination can be like a screen on a TV. It shows you something, but it also can be like a window. It's transparent. You look through the glass and you see something. The thing you see through the glass is is psychic. The thing you see on the screen is what what you're painting on the screen. So they came up with the idea of imaginary coordinates. They just tried it and it worked and so remote viewing there are two kinds if we get into it we could be here forever but remote viewing t- basically is a structure that a- allows you to use your your psychic abilities and develop your psychic abilities to focus on something somewhere a person place or thing uh with no conception no preconception of what it is so that all your impressions are either good or they don't turn into anything in other words, if if you say here are, your, here are your coordinates tell me what you see there and I say, well, I'm seeing an Indian village It's feels like it's 2,000 years old ago or whatever and, you know, if that was the target or at least that was the target was 2,000 years ago in the American Southwest we can probably say, well, yeah you probably did see an Indian village 2,000 years ago because that's about all that would be there whereas, you know If you're remote viewing and you're not a good remote viewer, you're not connecting to the target for some reason. You will just get junk, or you'll be painting a picture, or you'll just, you know, you'll 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 maybe get a little piece of something, and you think, oh, I know what that is, and you start painting imaginary pictures in your head. It happened to me in my training. You know, I'd get a little piece of something, and I would prematurely say, I know what this is. And you start painting pictures with your imagination. You're not supposed to know what it is. You're supposed to describe it. You're supposed to be detached from it. Does that answer it? It's, it's a very complicated subject, so I'm not sure I've completely answered it the way you wanted it.
0: Yeah, it's just it's it's kind of giving people the idea of what exactly uh, remote viewing is, or what what they. A lot of people uh, d- don't know what it is. Uh, okay, so it's this, kind of they um, call it remote
2: viewing, but it really should be remote sensing because sometimes you don't just see you hear you smell smell against in that common but it's happened uh, sometimes you can taste something remotely but it's not it's not advised <laughs> um, <laughs> to go tasting things remotely you don't know what you're looking at uh and so it's in and, and some people they don't see anything they just have impressions but the impressions are solid and so I can't see a person but I know there's a person there and I can't see what he's wearing but it feels like he's wearing you know a, you know a parka you know. And so some people are actually blind with a remote view, but they still get information that you know is valid. It's just not vi- it's not visual in their head. It's impressionistic, or it's sensory. It's a sensory mix that they can convert into something that they can articulate. That you know, you, where, where the tasker could say, "Yeah, you 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 got the target."
3: I think a lot of people describe it as a knowing. It's something that you. Uh, yeah, there you is a knowing thing a here too. Knowing.
2: Yeah, which is why it's so delicate. Which is why you have to be careful in the beginning when you're remote viewing something, that you don't jump to conclusions. You don't, you know, seize on a a fragment of a visual data or auditory data or you know sensory impressions. Like you know, I, I sometimes have detected the temperature at remote sites. And if it's really, really cold, you think, oh, this must be Antarctica, and you can't go there because you start seeing snow, and it's not Antarctica. Maybe it's Greenland or, or some other place.
3: Yeah, I think that's probably one of the, the key things that um, is that slowing down, isn't it, in training, where you you can very quickly make an assumption of something that you're seeing or hearing or sensing. And it's about coming back from that and just giving the information that you've got and not putting your own spin on everything. Yeah.
2: It's always described, described, never identify.
3: Absolutely.
0: Hmm. So now when you're remote viewing, you're remote viewing something that's happening currently but somewhere else.
2: Usually, but, you know, in training they they would give us targets in the past and they would often label them, this target is to be reviewed in past time. You know, just to make sure, because you can displace in time. It's happened to me. uh, You know, I've reviewed things, I've remote-viewed things in the present, and I've actually seen things in the past at that location. Because one of the interesting things about remote viewing, and I learned this in training, is that your your subconscious is going to connect with the target before your conscious mind starts to react to it. And if your subconscious is either bored or repelled or afraid, you're going to displace either in time or in space, possibly both. For instance, they, they tra- they, when we were training, they ran us against the sunken Titanic. And one of the things you do in, in one kind of remote doing is you do se- session sketches. You sketch what you perceive. You often will put a little X to say, here's where I was. Here was, a, here, here, here was where I felt I was when I was looking at the Titanic. And when we looked at all our session sketches, some people had the X underwater and some people had the X on the waterline and some people had the X above the waterline. And my instructor said, that's usually indication of how comfortable or uncomfortable you are being in the water. If you don't like being underwater, if you're not comfortable swimming, if you're not comfortable with the concept of being under the water for the period of time that it takes to remote view the Titanic, you're going to stay above the water. You might be on the water, you might be above the water but you're not going to be in the water and when you pull the the, the the students they'll all you know their their responses how they feel about being in the being submerged will respect where they they put their X's so um, so sometimes you don't connect with the target or don't connect properly with the target because you' your subconscious or your unconscious is saying I don't want to go there No, I don't think that's ever happened. There, has been, there have been times when I've woken up, and uh, uh, this happens a lot when I wake up, when it happens, it doesn't happen a lot, but it, it's happened a lot over a period of time, is you might get a very crystal clear image, and this is very spooky to me, because in remote viewing, the images aren't always super clear. They can be clear, they can be fuzzy, they can be impressionistic, they can be fleeting, they can be chaotic... In these images sometimes I see something so clear it's like, you know, a high definition. And the things I see and I only see them for split seconds. It's usually when I'm waking up. Sometimes it'd be a strange face. It might be a bunch of ants on a sidewalk. It might be a couple of times I've seen signs in either store windows or in on posts in the outdoors and there'd been languages I wouldn't recognize and i don't think i'm dreaming this stuff that is to say i don't think this, i'm emerging from a dream and this is the last fragment of the dream it feels like during a very brief interval when i wake up when i'm in a very deep state a theta state uh, or a delta state whichever it would be um you get the you, you know you get this these super sharp distinct brief images that are very well composed very clear, but absolutely having no no relationship to anything you can think of from dreams or or from whatever. So I suspect in my dreams I may be not my dreams, but in my sleep I may be remote viewing things. Uh, but now I be doing that on a level that's not conscious, and so what I'm looking at may not interest me as a person, but may interest me on a higher level or a unconscious level. But no, I don't tend to go places spontaneously because i'm I, I, I'm always in control of my gift.
0: So when you're actually um, remote viewing, do you get seen by the people that you're viewing on, and do they interact with you?
2: Uh, only rarely, but only in in, in in my my instructor, who was David Morehouse, when he was teaching twenty years ago. He'd like to run us against what are called exotic targets or non-feedback targets, and these are targets for which there is no proof of what is at the target as a general rule, uh, except what other viewers have seen. And sometimes he'd put us on another planet or another civilization or in the past or whatever, and once in a while we would encounter beings that are extraterrestrial or spiritual or both, and there would be, you know some little interaction. and But, you know, I think the average person is not, even the average psychic is not necessarily going to be clearly aware they're being remote viewed. They may have a sense of being watched. Uh, But, you know, I think you have to be very advanced uh, to be able to perceive someone like me watching you because I'm not really there except as a point of perception. This isn't like astral... Even though it is like it in some ways, this isn't astral travel. Astral travel, which I've never experienced to my knowledge, is you roll out of your body and you start to reconnoiter your immediate environment and then you go where you want to go if you want to go anywhere or you go back into your body. That's astral travel. Remote viewing, the remote viewing that involves travel as opposed to the remote viewing that involves just receiving the the data from the target zone the travel realm of viewing is more like popping through a wormhole and popping out the other side and finding yourself sort of floating around in an environment that's designated as a target and you're not really there as a soul i don't think i think you're there on a, on a like a like a little mental probe or drone or something you're there as a point i always say i'm a, I'm a point of perception but I don't know. That's that's only my understanding of it. But I have interacted with let's just say beings on other places, you know, briefly. But there's definitely been interaction, and you know. But they're they're advanced beings. So you know, I I, I don't don't remember ever interacting with someone, you know, on the Earth, because I don't think people generally are sensitive to this stuff. You accept that sense of being watched, which a lot of people are sensitive to, but if you have a sense of being watched and there's nobody there that you can see, well, that's a sense. You tend to throw that away.
3: I, don't, I think I would agree, actually, William, because I don't think I've ever heard of remote viewing being as though you're actually physically there. It's much more so, so people don't, wouldn't pick up on the fact that that remote viewing was happening. And yeah, I think it's, yeah. it's and, and actually the level of detail that, that you would obtain from a remote viewing is pertinent to what it is you need to provide evidence for as opposed to. So, I mean, um, Quite often, for example, if somebody said, OK, then we'll, we'll take me around my house. Tell me exactly what's in my house and, the, and, and, and about my house. Prove to me that you know and that you can remote view into my home. You, would, you, you might see a colour scheme. You might see a layout of furniture. For me, I know that I've had, um, my guides would give me um, soap opera type layouts of, So, so I, I might get something from EastEnders. And I know I've got to describe that because that's the layout. But they may give me a very visual of the colours. So I wouldn't be physically walking around somebody's house, but I would be absolutely able to tell you what's, what the the rooms is like, what's there, the scent, any experiences they have. But I remember somebody saying to me, I've tidied up all the drawers in case you go through them. (laughs) (laughs) I can't see in the drawers. It's not like that. But people do perceive that you can see more than you can.
2: I actually did that to a friend of mine who lives in another state. I'd been to his house once, I think, years before. And when I first became a psychic and it was with remote viewing, I said, you know, I called him once and we were talking about it. and And I said, well, let me see what I can see around your home environment because he had recently moved, and I think I'd been to his house once, but, you know, just a brief visit. So I started seeing the strangest things, because he was a collector. I saw a Hopi doll, a Kachina doll. He verified that. I saw some kind of broken or fractured uh, rubber stamp, and he had a, a, a rubber stamp that a, a very famous Hollywood actor had used to, to sign his pictures and letters. He used a rubber stamp. And he had that as a souvenir he acquired in an auction. And I saw an old car in his garage and it had a cracked steering wheel. And he verified that. In fact, he didn't know the steering wheel was cracked until he looked. And I went all around his house, you know, mentally. And, you know, and I, I notice in psychic work of this type, in a remote viewing thing, that you, the things you notice are the things that interest you. And things that don't interest you, you know, like I wouldn't say you have two sticks of butter in your refrigerator because so I wouldn't think that would be interesting. But mm-hmm. a Kachina doll. A cracked steering wheel, a, uh, a a rubber stamp, and a whole bunch of other things—six or seven things—I uh, was able to uh, to say these things were there, even if I couldn't understand what I was seeing all the time. And I, that was very powerful. I don't use—I don't know if I could do that again now, but possibly I could. Uh, but you know, to me, when I was new, that was interesting to do. It now it would be kind of boring because well, I've done that. Hmm.
0: Where do you, where do you want to see see yourself go with this, or do you have any plans to pursue I, I this? I don't kind have,
2: you know. Thing? I still do a little psychic work for friends. Occasionally, I'll clear a house, uh, you know, solve a problem. Uh, but I you know I, I'm I'm more focused on my writing now. I, I went through being a psychic for about twenty years, very intensely interesting business, but you know. Everything gets old, and you know, a lot of it was. You know, I was going to write a book about my experiences, but things just got out of hand. You know, I just I wanted to write a very simple book about developing your abilities and and what's it like to work in this, you know, the psychic industry and what what the people are like and how trustworthy they are and what to watch out for, and all those things. And then I got into remote viewing and mediumship, and we just went off the cliff into all sorts of really, you know high strangeness kind of experiences and I said well you know now now this journey has just gone way way past the point I I think I can write about it And, and and still retain a certain amount of credibility for what I was seeing as the audience which is the average reader and this book forever after is part of that I mean I wasn't looking to channel a book I didn't have any ambitions in that regard and in fact, as I mentioned, I dragged my feet for years before I did it, and I dragged my feet for a few more years before I could find a way to get it before the public. And here we are. So I don't really have any goals here. I just, you know, I, I'd like people to read this book if if they're drawn to it. If they're not drawn to it, I'll go read some other book.
0: <laughs> so now, now the book is just available on Amazon right now in Kindle. Is Amazon, going, and I think
2: more? it's uh, it's Nook too. I think we have a, a Nook. Uh, edition as well
0: okay we'll have that up on our website so people can do one click if they need to find it well it's been a, it's been a very interesting uh show today um thank you very much um we've been talking to william murray about his book forever after an inspired work i'm um, glad you can well, make Well, thanks it.
2: having man. it's been an enjoyable conversation i hope your your listeners are getting something good out of it